There's no such thing as guilty pleasures, only pleasures. And I think Van Helsing Prep is a real pleasure. You've seen it? Yes, in your character, it's reminiscent of Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Thank you. And welcome to an all-new episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. I'm your host, little-known cartoonist, (laughs) Ken Holtzhauser. And today we're going to go through some of the back alleys of pop culture and find pleasure in some of the strangest of places. So please, join us on this journey. Let's go! Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. I'm your host, little-known cartoonist Ken Holtzhauser, and today we're going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about that special feeling, that odd sort of bittersweet feeling of reunions, you know, like a, a like a school reunion or a family reunion, uh, where you see people that are familiar to you, and yet um, you've grown beyond them. And you have a difficult time trying to fit back into the role that you played before. It's an odd feeling, and it brings us to television's equivalent of that, the spinoff. Or in particular, how in the world do you do a spinoff of one of arguably the most popular television series of all time? Well, there's a lot of ways you could do it, but we're going to talk about the way they did do it. Today, we're discussing Aftermash. Some things a man's got to do for himself. Sydney, over in Korea, I came to rely on you. Now I need you again. I hope the University of Chicago is treating you better than the VA is treating me. Although we probably have a better football team. Sherman, you're not falling asleep in there again, are you? No, dear. Every time I start nodding off, I flush. <laughs> I think I might be going crazy, Sydney, and I don't know why. Okay, from the beginning, right? Well, one thing from Korea hasn't changed. My number one problem is still cleaner. That tiny little clip, it's hard to really get a feel for the show because the show itself really had a hard time finding what its feel was supposed to be. A little background. I love MASH. It is uh, one of my absolute all-time favorite TV shows. Possibly my all-time favorite TV show. I I have uh, devoted a great many hours to watching and rewatching and rewatching each episode, and uh, I grew up with it. I uh, I watched it as a kid when it was on TV. I I enjoyed it when it hit syndication. There was a sweet spot when I was about 13 years old when there was one channel that ran it for an hour between five o'clock and six o'clock. 
Then another channel ran it between six and seven. And then I knew it in, it ran every night about 1030 after the local news. And when MASH was actually still on, Monday was the great day because that meant I could get three hours of MASH. I know, it's a little obsessive. I had action figures and I had t-shirts and I had, uh, I lovingly followed the adventures of the, uh, the medical hospital of the 407th 7th fighting in the Korean War and trying to save all of these lives. I, I enjoyed everything that Alan Alda did. I followed him as a director as well as him as a writer on the show. So, I mean, I was a dyed in the wool fan. There's, there's no getting around it. And then inevitably the show came to an end after 11 seasons on the air with a particularly huge final two and a half hour episode called goodbye, farewell and amen that ran in 1983. That was the most watched television program of all time. And, uh, it was, it was an experience. It was a huge experience. And you can imagine if you were CBS or 20th Century Fox, that you weren't quite ready to see such a successful show leave. There were people who worked on the show who weren't quite ready to see it leave too. Specifically, three cast members, Harry Morgan, Jamie Farr, and William Christopher, all of whom return for a follow-up series called Aftermash that ran in the fall, that started in the fall of 1983. That first episode was a smash. I think they had 100 million people see it. It was huge. Actually, the whole first season had great ratings. It ran on in on Mondays during MASH's time slot. So we didn't even have a full season before we were back with familiar characters that we enjoyed. And yet, <laughs> the show ran for basically one and a half seasons. So where did everything go wrong? It's hard to say. The setting of Aftermash is a VA hospital, a general Pershing general in Missouri, which is where Colonel Potter, who spends a little bit of time first coming back from the war, doing odd jobs and puttering until he finally realized that he would be incredibly bored with retirement and still needed to work, operating as the chief of staff of a veterans hospital. Uh, Max Klinger, who in the final episode of MASH decided he was staying in Korea is now back in Toledo in trouble with the law because he had a hard time finding jobs and um, his Korean bride, Soon Yi, played by um, Rosalind Chow, uh, was getting a lot of bad looks from the neighborhood. And uh, so, with little to do, little to do in Toledo, except continue to get in trouble with the law, he takes Colonel Potter up on his offer to be his chief clerk at the VA hospital. So the two of them move to Missouri. They hear from um, Father Mulcahy's sister, the sister, that uh, Father Mulcahy, who we left partially deafened in the final episode of Mash, was hitting the bottle hard and was not. Uh, was not handling civilian life very well. They get him to Missouri. They perform the incredibly uh, miraculous operation to restore his hearing. And now our three Korean war buddies are going to be joining the staff of General Pershing General and uh, will be giving us weekly uh, heartwarming lessons about the futility of war at this veterans hospital. 
We have a couple of new characters brought in, kind of hotshot, doesn't play by the rules doctor, um, super silious um, uh, chief administration officers and uh, people who are just kind of interested in uh, maintaining the bureaucracy rather than helping the patients. It's a lot of the same kind of archetypes you had with MASH, but without the real without the real peril, without the real charm. The, the show kind of meanders through a first season, never really quite figuring out what tone it wants to have. Uh, things improve towards the middle of the season when they bring in uh, David Aykroyd, who is a, a brilliant surgeon who lost a leg in Korea. So he's a mix of a lot of potential story ideas all at once. He was only brought in for a couple of episodes, but they immediately saw the potential in this character and he got moved up to series regular for their second season and they kind of recast him as uh, sort of their Hawkeye Pierce uh, Lothario anti-authority chip on his shoulder type character. He's actually a good character. He's actually he's actually a lot of fun. The the series kind of blows through its first season. Uh, Radar appears in a couple of episodes, and that was fun. But ultimately, um, by the time they get to their second season, they still haven't quite nailed down what they want the show to be. As the as the second season, which is a very shortened, like almost half a season, runs. Um, they start pushing the idea of a wackier hospital. I think there was the, the entirety of Aftermath is an example of trying to figure out how to replicate the tone of something that was just lightning in a bottle when it first happened. A great deal, much like the MASH film and MASH television series, which were based on the book uh, MASH by Richard Hooker, uh, this one... Uh, borrows a lot of elements from one of his follow-up books, uh, MASH Goes to Maine, which is about a VA hospital. So there's a lot of that kind of thing. They get to make um, important statements. Larry Gelbart uh, won a Peabody Award, I think, for an episode about a soldier who contracted leukemia because of atomic testing. So there's the potential there to do uh, the kind of thoughtful drama amidst the humor that MASH did. The problem is, well... Part of the problem is it's not as funny. It's it's just not. It it does a good the dramatics do a good job, but it lacks um there's no there's no two ways around it. It lacks Alan Alda's Hawkeye Pierce. Without that kind of dynamic central character, it's hard to make all of it work. You need the show to be um, eccentric and funny and outlandish so that when the dramatic moments hit, they hit really hard. You kind of, you kind of purchase the drama with comedy. You kind of pay the audience in humor so that they'll stick around for, you know, the, the really important stuff, the, uh, the spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down. And, uh, sorry, but, uh, Colonel Potter, Klinger and Father Mulcahy, by themselves are not enough to uh, to hang this show on. There were things they could have they could have done. Uh, I know that they were reaching out to um, people like Alan Alda and Mike Farrell to see if they would be interested in showing up for random episodes if the show was to continue. And I think there was some genuine interest amongst them to do like an episode. Um, 
I don't know how that would have gone. We did see another MASH mainstay, Colonel Flagg, uh, who appeared in an episode in Season 2. One of the, the stranger bits as Season 2 develops is, again, this need to make the hospital wacky so that it could be like the 4077th. The only reason that the 4077th was wacky was because they were in a pressure cooker, and it's hard to replicate that in a VA hospital. It is. Uh, There's a storyline involving uh, Klinger getting in trouble with the law again and getting out of it by essentially convincing a judge that he was crazy. So he is assigned to that VA hospital pretending to be crazy so he doesn't have to go to jail. So basically, we've created a situation for Jamie Farr to get back into dresses and odd costumes and be the Klinger that we remember. And uh, that's the heart of the problem with Aftermath is it's not. It's not the mash we remember. It's hard to try to make that the mash that we remember. Everybody moved on, and the show the show should have been able to find a way to move on, too. I don't think the idea of the show is as wrong-headed as people say. There's a lot to enjoy. As I say, I actually, I actually kind of like watching it just because I like what they're trying to do, and I love... Uh, Harry Morgan and Jamie Fard, William Christopher, and I always will. I'll, I'll support them in this. They're family, so I'm going to support them. But it's not difficult to see that they needed uh, either more characters from MASH or they needed, um, they needed to pin the show on a young Maverick character to be the lead. Not, not to take anything away from David Aykroyd, but his character was just a little too serious for him to be the lead. And, uh, and that's what, where you get it. I don't know. At the time when I was watching, I thought they have like this buffoonish hospital administrator who's trying to look good to the higher ups at Washington and is just a terrible person that everybody hates but and he's cutting corners and he clearly doesn't know what he's doing and all of this is just for his own career advancement and I'm watching it and I'm thinking why couldn't that character have been played by Larry Linville why couldn't that have been a retired Colonel Frank Burns and then that would give everybody else on the show a hissable villain to go after that we in the audience already know is already established and we kind of want to see it I don't know. That's Monday morning quarterbacking, and it's not going to help this show. Uh, for Like I said, for its first season, it ran on Monday nights, the regular time slot for MASH. For its second season, they decided to move it to Tuesdays opposite the A-Team because they think that these aging uh, cut-ups of the former 4077th are exactly the kind of counter-programming that would defeat Mr. T and the A-Team, and they were incredibly wrong as the A-Team absolutely destroyed them in the ratings. Now, a sensible network would say, well, goodness, uh, it had a great first season, and we purposely damaged it. Let's move it to a different night and uh, and try to salvage this. Now, uh, basically, after taking an absolute shellacking in the ratings, CBS pulled the plug on the whole show. There's even a final episode of that second season that never aired. Uh, I don't know what's been done with it. I don't know what could be done with it, except I've always wanted to see it show up on DVD. I've always wanted to see it come out from the crypt and give people a chance to see it. 
and not measure it by what it isn't, but finally kind of watch it and see it for what it is. It's a family reunion, for better and for worse. Aftermash can be seen on YouTube in a variety of uh, kind of difficult and grainy images, but it's worth a look, and I hope you do. We'll see you next time for another episode of No Guilty Pleasures, a pop culture podcast. Looking for something new and exciting in comics? Perhaps that other dynamic duo, The Quick and The Dad. It's a love letter to the DC, Marvel, Archie, and Harvey comics of my youth. Available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com. Within the pages of The Quick and The Dad, you will find supervillains, dad jokes, strange, exciting worlds, really goofy supervillains, and bad puns. I promise. Each issue will delight and confound you in equal measure, and it's available now in print and digital from IndiePlanet.com.